Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to The Insight. My name is Anissa Isak and I'll be your host this evening. My guest this evening is Yasmin Akrimi. She's a political analyst from the Brussels International Center. And we're talking about the Arab Spring that occurred 12 years ago. What is actually happening in Tunisia? And is the Arab Spring a success story? So thousands of Tunisians have demonstrated against President Qais Saeed as the country faces a deepening political and economic crisis, with the crowd having gathered in the capital Tunis to demand the end of his government. And this was three days ago. Tunisians who supported Mr. Saeed say since he came into power in 2019 have grown increasingly frustrated with the state of the economy. And the protests come 12 years to the day since former dictator Zine al-Abidin Ben Ali was forced into exile. Tunisia's uprising is often held up as the sole success of the Arab Spring revolts across the region, but it has not led to stability economically or politically. With debts piling up, the country has struggled to import basic goods, including staples such as milk, coffee and sugar. Let's speak to Yasmin and find out a little bit more about what's happening with Tunisia and the situation that they face at the moment. Yasmin, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me. Wa alaikum salam. Well, you know, the Arab Spring 12 years ago, I think there was so much of hope, not just for Tunisia, but across the Arab world. But today, Tunisia, in the situation that I've just described, is quite concerning. And I think, you know, that hope hasn't been extinguished completely, but it is um, a flickering, uh, you know, flame at the moment. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, uh, 12 years ago, I, I like to say that I, I was born 12 years ago as a citizen, as a thinker, as a researcher, as an analyst, as ever, everything you, you, can, you can think of. Uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a very um, a moment of hope, um, uh, which, for example, um, tells us something uh, about uh, not just the Arab world, because Tunisia is, uh, is, is an African country also, and it's a, it's, a, it's a country of the global south. Um, it tells us that uh, the, the narrative uh, that is very hegemonic uh, about um, countries in the south and societies in the south that are fine with living under um, authoritarian rule is completely wrong, is completely false. Uh, it's not like we, we don't have less dignity or less, um, uh, uh, um, you know, aspirations for freedom than, than countries countries, uh, civilized countries, yes. they like to say of the global north, that is completely untrue. So it tells you that, you know, the social contract that happened post-independences with most uh, uh, Arab and African countries of uh, kind of like an authoritarian rule that would um, that would guarantee basic, uh, basic needs, basic commodities, um, uh, and kind of like a middle class type of, of living, well, it's not working anymore, and people, people, Arab people, uh, African people want something else. And what, what, what you saw, I think, uh, what we saw 12 years ago, what happened um, uh, is still very much on. It didn't die. It, uh, mm -hmm. it, 
uh, it's uh, yeah, it had different results in different countries where it um, where it happened, of course, because the socioeconomic and political structure is different in every country. But in Tunisia today, um, the 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 ideals of freedom, of democracy, of dignity that's that's mostly it. Uh, dignity are not dead, uh, even though the country is um, is going through a a very uh, complex economic and political crisis. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look back um, 12 years, in that 12 years, quite a bit has happened. Maybe you want to take us through that and kind of, um, you know, reflect or highlight some of the events that have brought us or brought Tunisia to where it is right now. Yeah, um, I think Tunisia is a very um, uh, telling example of how a uh, every revolution has in itself a counter-revolution. Uh, Tunisian, like, so what happened in, in, in the, the Tunisian revolution started before 14th January 2011. Uh, the, the 14th January 2011 was kind of the culmination of the whole process that started, um, um, you know, according to some researchers, it started uh, in 2008. So that was like three years ago. Yes. Multiple strikes and multiple uh, protests in, in, in the country that were severely repressed. But that did not uh, die out, and it, it, they culminated into uh, the demise of the former uh, dictator Ben Ali. Uh, but uh, so immediately after uh, uh, his demise, the, the demise of, of the former president, um, there was a recuperation of the of the of the revolutionary process by uh, a political elite. Um, that for me uh, pacified uh, a, a very revolutionary moment. So, um, for example, the the calls in the streets uh, um, in in the 14th of January uh, 2011 were about uh, uh, bread, water. I don't know if you know this very mm-hmm. famous slogan. So, bread, water, and no Ben Ali. And the the people want a democracy. The people want um, parliamentary rule. The people. Uh, you know, want uh, basically freedom, dignity, and a sense of, of, of citizenship and belonging in, uh, in in their own country, in our own country. So what happened after is that uh, there was a, a, um, a successive um, uh, political processes, electoral processes, uh, that happened in a country that had very little uh, democratic or electoral culture to begin with. So, uh, uh, for example, uh, the the party that uh, that dominated the political scene for for ten years before uh, President Kaysaid arrived, um, um, that was the party with a uh, with a. Uh, referential of Islam, so the uh, so in Nahda was the political party that a lot of people say is a party that is uh, linked to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. Yes. Uh, I don't know about that, but that's the inspiration. Basically, that was a party that basically uh, uh, for for a very long time uh, uh, um, presented itself with the idea that we fear God and we are good Muslims, so mm-hmm. we're going to be able to rule you uh, and and uh, you know to to honor the ideals of a revolution because of that, and that did not work at all. And then we had a, a bit of um, of um, of a transition towards um, a more secular rule of course this does not mean 
these do not mean the same thing as they mean in Europe or in the West. Yes. Uh, it's not a reference. When I, say, when I say, for example, secular rule, I don't mean that the party that ruled at the time was not uh, Muslim or anything. Yes. No, that's very different. But it did not have an ex explicit referential, uh, um, Muslim referential or religious referential. So basically, what, what like, you know, like all of these uh, parties, even though they had different referentials and different narratives, did, did the exact same thing. They uh, went through with uh, neoliberal economic policies. They went through with, um, uh, you know, changing, uh, changing uh, coalitions and, and and coalitions that were not uh, that, that that were unnatural, uh, the, you know, the, like for example, a coalition between a very leftist uh, um, economic uh, plan and then uh, with a very neoliberal economic plan. And then you had people that were um, for uh, including uh, religion in in the political sphere and people who were against including religion in the political yeah. sphere. All of these <laughs> uh, made coalitions at a certain point, which created um, a. Uh, chronic uh, political instability mm. uh, that completely disregarded the economic crisis because the, what we have to remind like ourselves is that um, the Tunisian revolution and all of the revolutions that happened after were of course, political revolution, but there were also economic revolutions. The people saying um, uh, the the social contract is not working for us. Yes. Our livelihood is threatened. What happened in Tunisia specifically is that we had we focused a lot on uh, on uh, individual liberties, on freedom, on drafting a constitution, on forming a parliament, on working on uh, political and civil rights, but not at all on economic rights, which uh, which led us to to the situation we are in today, which is kind of a form of hybrid return of authoritarianism and political fatigue. Huh? Tunisians uh, mostly do. Do not uh, do not want to take part in uh, um, in electoral politics anymore. They do not even protest anymore. What you what uh, what what we're seeing the headlines about thousands thousands of people protesting. Yes. These mainly political parties that have a hard time uh, gathering mass support like they did before. Although the situation is very is very dire, so people are very very tired really and very um, disillusioned uh, with mm. the. With 12 years of, I think in 12 years we had 11 governments. That tells you how, how unstable yes. Yes. <laughs> the situation is, yeah. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, South Africa should have taken a page out of what's happening in Tunisia or Tunisia should have looked at South Africa because we basically sit in a similar situation. I mean, right now South Africa is sitting with a huge economic crisis. Um, and when we look at Tunisia, similar situation where the constitution was looked at, you know, freedom was looked at, but nobody really looked at how the economy was doing. And suddenly it's, you know, sort of that unbalance comes about and you're seeing what you're seeing today with the people going out into the streets. But now you mentioned um, the fact that, um, you know, it's mostly political parties, but there's a, a powerful union um, in Tunisia as well. That's, uh, you know, been also been at the forefront of many of the protests that have taken place. Um, that's the UGTT. Um, you know, what part do they play when it comes to um, getting the people out onto the street or even getting people to understand how to um, sort of get government to come to the party? Because um, they play quite a huge role. Yeah. 
So in Tunisia, we have a very um, strong uh, tradition of uh, of of, um, of labor, of labor union, yes. huh? of, of of syndicalism. I don't know if that's the word in English. Uh, of a very strong syndicate of like a yes. yeah labor yes. union basically. <laughs> so the the UGTT is a is a huge player in Tunisia, and it's not just a huge player socially; it's a huge player politically. It has been uh, um, since before the independence in '56, and it has played a significant political role and, and a significant role in resisting neoliberal policies and in, in, in resisting uh, the privatization of, uh, of, uh, of the economy and in resisting author- authoritarianism. Yes. Uh, under under the first president Bourguiba, under Ben Ali, and under all the governments, um, uh, you know that that uh, that oh, happened. Yeah. Yeah, after 2011, and in 2014, uh, the UGTT was part of uh, uh, the coalition that formed the national dialogue that got Tunisia the Nobel Prize. Um, I don't know if you if you know mm-hmm. that or if you remember that, but uh, yeah, it played an it played and still plays an important role in uh, in kind of um, getting the country out of crisis and in being a counterpower in itself. So the UGTT, if you tell me, if you ask me who is the main opposition um, uh, you know player today against uh, against the policies of President Kai Saied when I'm saying the main opposition I'm not talking about how loud uh, the the party is but how um, how, um, how how much support does it have yes. that's UGTT. The problem is that the UGTT is not a political party. So yes. it's not going to, you know, uh, uh, run campaigns and uh, and and have a, although there's a, a bit of talk about its head uh, possibly uh, running for um, for future presidential elections. I don't think it's going to happen because historically that has never been the role of the UGTT. Now the UGTT is uh, against uh, the policies of current President Kai Saeed, like every civil society organization, like every political party, basically. But they are also still open um, uh, for dialogue. So, for example, they they launched an initiative with a very, uh, with the Bar Council and with very um, uh, other prominent civil society organizations, the Tunisian League for Human Rights. They launched a call for dialogue with President President Kaisaid, of course, President Kaisaid has not responded yet because um, this is this is part of his uh, strategy or like yeah strategy. Basically, he does not engage with any counterpart, and with like every populist, he only speaks directly to the people, whatever people means. Huh? But he directly speaks to the people. Um, what you what we're seeing at the moment, for example, with the UGTT, is that the main um, the main struggle is uh, Tunisia is trying to cut a deal with the IMF. Yes, of course, because of the of the very uh, uh, huge economic crisis, and because we we have a problem with uh, with the way we're going to finance uh, the 2023 budget. Basically, it's that immediate. Uh, and we know what uh, a deal with the IMF means. Huh? It means, uh, uh, yeah, very, very um, uh, harsh and violent neoliberal policies. Uh, we saw what happened with Greece. We saw what yes. happened with so many Arab and African countries. Uh, and basically, the UGTT is trying to, to prevent that. 
uh, with you know a president that uh, that is a very um, very unopen to dialogue. But yes, definitely, it's it's a very good remark that the UGTT is um, is the main opposition uh, party today, while trying to still maintain kind of like um, an in the middle position, open to dialogue. Uh, honestly, I think if the president uh, uh, opens an avenue for dialogue with the UGTT, then the UGTT will will engage in that dialogue very directly, huh? which mm -hmm. is not the same for other political parties that are um, against the president uh, because their political parties also they can allow themselves to do that. Yes. Now, mm. elections have taken place and I mean, the vote, voter turnout wasn't very good. I think it was like 11 percent or something that cast their ballots. And the elections was meant to replace and reshape the legislature that Said uh, obviously dissolved in 2021. Now, runoffs are to take place on January 29th. What happens if, um, you know, you see low numbers like that again? This this basically leaves him um, in, a, in a secure position because he can go ahead and carry on doing what he's doing. Yeah, so I think we need to recontextualize in what uh, in in what uh, environment uh, and with what understanding Tunisians went to vote for these elections. So, for example, this is the lowest turnout in Tunisian yes. history. Huh? Uh, that's the the lowest. But uh, for me, it's not surprising at all because um, in, uh, in on the twenty fifth of July, twenty twenty two. So. Uh, the referendum on the new constitution was um, was voted, um, and so the new constitution passed. And this new constitution gives all prerogatives to the president, um, and the parliament is basically a parliament of uh, of a uh, facade. Huh? It's just a parliament there to pass laws uh, that uh, are already written, basically, and, and is just. Um, uh, a registration machine, basically, or registering machine of uh, of uh, presidential projects. So I think in the head of a lot of Tunisians, um, they they gave all prerogatives to a president on the 25th of July, and now they're telling him, "Well, we gave you all of these prerogatives. We we gave you what what you what you wanted. Now do something with mm. what you." And people understood, for example, in, in for these legislative elections, political parties were banned. So you were basically voting on individuals that you did not know. No. And also mm -hmm. public funding was banned. So people who run had to run individually with their own money. So that it, there, there was no campaign, really. And these yes. were the people who were not uh, um, used to doing politics, not used to do campaigns so if for i mean th there was no national campaign like you can imagine like like happened in 2019 and 2014 and 2011 in tunisia where really there was a mobilization of the country of all um, um civil society organizations of political parties also to organize campaigns and and uh, and have programs and for good or for bad th there was a there was an actual campaign this was uh, basically um People running on very small, uh, uh, you know, uh, how do you say that, electoral uh, ballots. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, electoral ballots and, and constituencies also. Uh, uh, very limited uh, prerogatives. And uh, yeah, most people were not even aware uh, of, what, uh, of what, what was going on on yes. the elections. Um, considering also how much the former parliament that was voted in 2019 was part of the, the crisis that led to the, the, the coup d'etat that happened in, uh, in 2021, the, the former parliament. So we were in a semi-parliamentarian regime from 2014 to 2019, and the parliament was the um, basically the main figure of, of the political scene. And it was a parliament where you had people um, throwing, uh, you know, things on each other that, 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 that people were insulting each other. Yes, yes. Uh, there was so much violence and chaos. And so people... Uh, uh, do not want to see that type of parliament again. Mm -hmm. So they did not engage with with the yeah, legislative elections that, you know, they know at, at the end that the real prerogatives are with the president. So um, is it is it bad for his uh, legitimacy, for the president's legitimacy, that there's a, such a um, such a low turnout? Of course. But does that mean anything uh, for him politically or does that is, is that going to cost him politically? I don't think uh, I don't think it's yeah. going to come more than, you know, his act, he, what he's doing and what he's not doing for the country at the moment. That's the real political cost, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, also, when we look, um, you know, uh, Yasmin, at, um, he's made a visit to Washington recently um, to attend the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. And um, the summit was his latest basically an exercise for him to show his diplomatic muscle and make his case um, for the critical IMF funding or loan package that, um, you know, Tunisia is trying to uh, procure. But he, he didn't do very well. Um, you know, he didn't sound as if he had won over the U.S. administration or even the media for that matter. And um, what happens from there on? I mean, there's no, um, is there any talk of uh, foreign policy, uh, any, you know, political establishments with regards to other countries outside uh, of Africa? Uh, or even within Africa, for that matter. So it's the the, the very um, uh, contradictory uh, thing with this president is that he appointed a government that is only responsible before him politically, which only role seems to secure a deal with the IMF. That's one thing. But in his discourse, he refuses to acknowledge Tunisia is is looking for money with the i like uh, yeah before the IMF or with any other organization so he is very very critical and um yeah he's very critical uh of international monetary institutions of of even uh, institutions um, uh, that uh, you know that rating institutions international yes. rating institutions yes. that he mocked times and times uh, in uh, in his discourses so i and, and also what he says is that um, he repeats um, again and again that there um, will not be any uh, consequence for for tunisians and especially the 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 lower and middle class uh, it, you know, th there will not be any economic consequence uh, when we know that if the the deal is cut with the IMF, there will be huge consequences because that changes the way the social state in Tunisia 
uh, works and that, yes. that, that changes uh, public subsidies, that changes a lot of things. Basically, if this deal is cut with the IMF, it changes the nature of the post-independence state in, in, uh, in Tunisia. So that is something that this president refuses to acknowledge. It means there, there, there is not even um, an official um, uh talk on his side about a deal with the IMF. He denies there will be a deal with the IMF when uh, we have, again, a government that is uh, basically only working to secure that deal because Tunisia has no money and has very um, uh, little other options because uh, uh, with uh, with the instability, the political instability, and now we're coming to the uh, geopolitical kind of um, dimension with the instability and with the, the coup that happened in 2021 and with uh, the American um, how to say that uh, criticism of uh, mm -hmm. the suspension of the parliament of the um, the doubt about the elections transparency and all of that nobody would 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 give a loan to Tunisia at the moment the only money we got uh, is from Algeria and I think that surprised the president because he was counting yes. <laughs> he was definitely counting on countries in the Gulf. He was counting on Egypt. He was counting on um, on because uh, he's a very um, he has a very strong sense of uh, pan Arabism. Yes. Not that much a sense of pan Africanism, unfortunately. But he's very turned like most um, most uh, you know. He, he reminds me of uh, of um, yeah of Gamal Abdel Nasser of oh of, yes yes <laughs> yeah uh, he, he's. He's very he's very aligned, or he seems to um, have a good relationship with uh, Macron, though um, the French president. Uh, yes, may, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if uh, if it's a good relationship. Uh, you, you know, in that sense, I mean, the European Union is still uh, a, a a good, uh, you know, um, how say this, like partner to Tunisia because uh -huh. they want. I mean. For, for the Union and for, for France, Italy, Germany uh, specifically, the most important thing is that they don't care about what's going on in our countries. The most important thing is that um, they need a bit of political stability for their uh, uh, migration policies. Yes. And, and especially in North Africa, because North Africa is the closest to them. So they need us to be their, uh, their um, yeah, to guard their frontiers, basically. So I think it's in, uh, in, in it, it, the, the Union and, uh, and, and France is redoing what they did with uh, President Ben Ali, basically, is that they... Uh, uh, disregarded and uh, yeah, they disregarded what was happening, uh, you know, uh, abuses that were happening because there's a promise of political stability. And we saw how that political stability uh, exploded uh, in 2011 across the region. So I think uh -huh. now they're um, they're more cautious about it. But yeah, basically, um, they, uh, at the, I, I remember after the coup in 2021, um, uh, there was there was strong criticism from the European Union, from individual European countries, from the U.S. But now that uh, that has that has kind of decreased. Huh? Now they're they're open to working with uh, with a with a, a government and a, and, a, and you know a, a president they, they they don't consider legitimate at the end of the day. But yeah, Tunisia is uh, just to, to to conclude with that. Tunisia, I think, is um is pretty isolated geopolitically. Yes. 
uh, and will not get any money that is for sure will not get any money without the um, the American approval. So the IMF basically. But mm-hmm. yeah, they need yeah. The, 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 you know, the green check basically. Of, yes, of- yes. Well, that, I was I was going to say that he's basically, um, you know, he's failed because he seems to know his domestic agenda, but that agenda doesn't really fulfill what is needed when it comes to foreign policy. And that mm. foreign policy is important because he's going to need the backing of these countries um, for him firstly to get that loan and also for um, obviously, you know, for later on to just relationships between them to try and support the Tunisian government. But he's failed at that. And I think the Arab nations as well, because he's also come out very strongly with um, support for the Palestinians. But other than that, um, you know, we don't hear him um, trying very hard to be um, or to create relationships elsewhere. He may be pan-Arab, Arab, but um, even there, you don't see much of uh, many relationships being, um, you know, carried out by him. So he focuses a lot domestically. Um, but again, we're not seeing any change come in. Instead, you're seeing the, the crackdowns that took place earlier on weren't as severe as the ones that took place now on the 14th of January. They were a lot more forceful, um, mm. you know, coming through even I mean now you've heard activists really condemning what happened yeah I mean it's uh, so it's not comparable the situation is not comparable to how it was uh, before 2011 of course it's not it's not that type of authoritarianism the, even the the my my uh, ease today to 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 speak to you the way I'm speaking yes. uh, having family in Tunisia having like all all of my friends in Tunisia, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do that uh, under Ben Ali, that's for sure, under yes, Burgis, yes. or that is for sure. It's not, it's not that type of authoritarianism. Also because, um, uh, again, post-2011, Tunisia focused a lot on individual liberties, individual rights, so it's very hard to dismantle that that fast. No? And I don't think it's his, uh, his approach. But again, talking about, uh, you know, his geopolitical mind, uh, uh, President Kaysan is, is far from being a politician. I don't think he, he has much sense of um, how to be politically um, uh, savvy. Uh, but he is um, also at the same time refusing to let the, you know, for example, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or people that have a sense of how foreign policy works, he, he refuses to let them do their work, basically. Or when they, when they do something, he counters it with one argument, for example. For example, he puts the blame on on the government all the time, as if it's not a government that he appointed, yes. that, that you know that is responsible only before him, that he can dismiss at any time. Huh? Uh, so it's um, it's always funny, but again, yeah, it's it's not. I think he 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 functions with a very old mind so he yeah. thought that for example um uh, his uh, his support for and i think his support for palestine is very genuine huh? it's yes. not uh, yes. it's not a, it's not a surprise huh, across uh, a, the arab countries even if leaders are some leaders are moving away from from the palestinian cause it's still very much a staple of of uh, of the of the arab imaginary um uh, the palestinian cause but i think it it's, um, yeah, it, he, because he works with a, with an old-fashioned mind, he thought that he will get support automatically from other Arab nations because he's turned towards Arab nations. But, um, you know, like now geopolitics and uh, interests are very, very different than the yes. 
you're seeing how Egypt is functioning, you're seeing how Morocco is functioning, you're seeing the, the, the very complex uh, uh, geopolitics of, of Gulf countries, uh, they're not they're not going to deal with Qaisaid the way they would have dealt with uh, like a Tunisian leader in the 60s, for example. Yes. Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, interests are very, yeah, very different yeah. and more, much more complex. Alliances are much more complex. Before yeah. you, you yes. know, like I used to, I, I say like, uh, I don't know where I read this, but um, you, you used to look at what the U.S. was doing or what the U.S. was saying. And then if you were a country from the South, you would um, uh, do the, the opposite or be against. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, was, yeah. It, it was basically, face, uh, um, you know, seeing exactly what they were doing and you'd react to that in what exactly. they were Exactly. Now yeah. it's much more complex huh? with with interventions like with the, with the um, uh, emergence of uh, regional players and with Turkey and with uh, with Gulf countries and with Egypt and and I'm just talking about the Middle East and, and you know like in 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 the African continent as complex. So it's uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> difficult for him. One last question before I let you go. Um, there were nine nine members of a all woman terrorist group were jailed. Um, they were accused, I think, of planning uh, to kill a government minister, and two of them were, I think, leaders that received a twenty five year sentence. Others, uh, shorter sentences. This is a case that went back to twenty sixteen um, with regards to uh, social media reports where an attempt to assassinate the interior minister, um, Hedi Majdoub. Um, what what exactly happened with that case? I mean, it didn't really make the newspapers. You didn't hear much about it. And then all of a sudden you just heard that this was what happened. So I have not heard about this case specifically, but when you're saying 2016, yeah, 2015, 2016, that, 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 was, that was the peak huh, of, yes. of, of the, the um, uh, terrorist phenomenon in Tunisia, especially uh, in 2015, we had two major attacks that uh, that uh, first killed a lot of people uh, and uh, harmed the, the image of the country and tourism and the economy beyond uh, beyond repair at the, at this point at least. Um, so, um, I mean, the, the, what it tells me is that it it reminds me, or it goes back to a very um, uh, recurrent and uh, yeah. A recurrent problem in the country is that the um, the judiciary uh, works uh, in a very slow way. It mm. works in such a slow, and it's underfunded, and it's also very, um, it's not transparent. It has not been built to be transparent, now, post-independence or with Ben Ali. I mean, uh, when people tell me uh, we have to reform the judiciary, it's as if, uh, um, you know, it was good before, and, and there's a bit of you know, there's a bit of problems and then we have to reform. No, we have to really restructure the judiciary. Yes. And uh, and that's not going to, for example, with with, uh, with uh, the absence of the separation of powers and this new constitution is going to be very hard. But yes, I am not surprised at all that something that happened in 2016 and that, uh, um, you know, uh, pertains to national security is only now being, um, you know, being the conclusion. Exactly. Yeah. But I have not heard of uh, of this specific case, so I cannot comment further uh, on this one specifically. No, no problem. I just mm-hmm. saw it and I was wondering, you know, what really happened. But um, yeah, that's that's the situation. But it points to what you exactly what you're saying. Um, well, I suppose then that the Arab Spring may have happened 12 years ago, but Tunisia is basically backtracked. Mm, it's uh, it, that's a that's a hard question. I think for me, 
<laughs> no, but even even in countries where where the situation is is catastrophic, uh, even in Syria, even in Yemen, even in Egypt, uh, to a, to a, to a very large extent, I think it's a process. I don't think it's. Um, uh, it's part of the process of of, uh, of the very um, very strong authoritarian rules um, fighting as 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 much as they could uh, to to maintain their privilege to maintain their position. I don't think it's uh, it's a case of you know like th- there was a talk about um, the Arab Spring and then the Arab Winter. Uh, with the the return of uh, of authoritarianism across the region, I think it's much more complex than that. I think something was enclenched for sure. I think something was triggered in 2011, not just um, across uh, the movement that we call the Arab Spring, but in, in general, in countries of the south, where you have people, a whole new generation um, that is very much uh, connected, uh, open. So, for example, before. Uh, uh, we we had no access to social media. We could not organize. We could not know what's happening in the world. Um, but now new forms of resistance have been emerging, and they're very they're very hard to control uh, by uh, by authoritarian regimes. I think there was something that was definitely triggered. I don't think that disappeared or that is, uh, you know, going back in history. Um, and we'll see, we'll see. I don't think any, something like a movement of that magnitude is going to happen again anytime soon. But I don't think uh, we came back to uh, societies pre-2011. I think that something uh, was triggered for sure. And we'll see how that's going to evolve. Because again, I believe it's it's a, it's a part of a very lengthy and painful process of uh, of self liberation, of mm-hmm. of decolonization from the inside, really. Yes, mm-hmm. I suppose I suppose many countries in Africa, um, you know, go through that process. But as we've seen, and I think South Africa may be in a similar situation, but not as um, you know similar. Um, to what Tunisia is going through, but there are some of them that you can pick up and see um, how the, the similarities exist. But Yasmin, shukran, really appreciate you making the time, and I've taken you for the 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, 40 minutes. Yeah. And that, uh, that was a pleasure, that was a really great conversation. You're welcome, shukran for your time, much appreciated, and I enjoy that too. Shukran, alaikum. And that was Yasmin Akrimi talking to us with regards to what's happened since the 12 years after the Arab Spring. And as you've heard, um, you know, many events having taken place, the country almost under authoritarianism ruling. But um, as she says, the hope has not been extinguished and it may be evolving into a different kind of protest this time, particularly with social media becoming more uh, prominent and a younger generation protesting for their freedom and liberty. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Jazakallah khair for listening. I'm Anissa Isak with the Insight. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.